You may be seated. If you brought your Bibles this morning, and I hope that you do have your Bible, but if not, um, if you did not bring your Bible, we actually have placed a few Bibles underneath the chairs. I don't know if you've noticed those in the past, but we're big about reading the Bible around here. This is something that I want each and every one of us to, uh, to not only do in this place, but then and also um, in your own home. So this morning, if you do have a Bible, uh, I would like for you to open up to Jonah 4, we're actually going to be picking up in verse 10 of chapter 3, and then going into chapter 4, and we're going to read it in its entirety. Just in case that you have not been here for this whole series, this is week 5, this is the finale, this is the finish line of the book of Jonah. It has been, it's been a challenge in my life as I've been going through this uh, and processing these messages before they are sent in this place, and to your ears, and your minds, and your heart, I've been challenged by it, and, and it is my desire, um, and I believe the, the Lord's desire also, that you would have been changed by what you've heard. I'll catch you up very briefly. This is a story that many of us know, that Jonah was a prophet. He was a, a man of God in his day, that he was supposed to go to a city called Nineveh. Nineveh was a, a city full of bad people, and he was given this command to go to Nineveh, and he decided that he did not like God's plan. He decided he wanted to do his own thing. So he boarded a ship to go in the opposite direction. So after he had gone into the opposite direction, we know that because of the events of his rebellion, um, that he was chucked into the water, right? We're all familiar with this. He was thrown into the water, and then here comes a large fish, swallows him up. We believe this to be true. This is a historical fact. This is a historical narrative, the writing style of this book. Um, and like I said, if you're a, a literary person, I just made your day. I made two references to that in this series, so that's awesome. And, but, but we do believe that it is true that a large fish swallowed up Jonah, and one of the reasons why we think this is true is Jesus actually refers to, um, to this book in the gospel in Matthew 12. And he actually says that, that Jesus says that I am the greater Jonah. That yes, you, that Jonah has spent um, three days, three nights in the belly of a whale or large fish. But he says, I also am come. And that he would, we know this, that he actually spent that amount of time in the ground and then was resurrected and ascended into heaven. So then Jonah, as he gets out of the whale and he's spit out onto dry land smelling like kelp and seaweed and everything nice, like, just like a, a, a trip to the beach, a horrible trip to the beach. Um, he gets spit up onto dry land and reluctantly he says, okay, I'll do it. And we talked about last week how he had finally obeyed what the Lord had said and because of his act of obedience, then as he went into the city of Nineveh that something so compelling happened that before he even went the, the whole three days journey all through Nineveh, he had been one day in and the message had already permeated the culture and it had transcended through people and families and then it started to affect the leadership. Do you all remember that last week? It started to affect the leadership, and not only that, the king was so moved by it, then he started, I mean, this is the most out there idea in our, in our country, but then he actually, what his theological beliefs at this point, religious beliefs, started to impact the laws of the land. And it all started because Jonah was obedient 
in doing what he was supposed to do. And yet, I wish I could say that the story ended there. For many of us, uh, when, when you've heard the things from the book of Jonah, most of the time, this is where the teaching stops. But not here at DBC. We go the extra mile. We want to do the, the, full, the full deal. Um, a lot of times, the story that you've heard, it says, yes, he reluctantly went out and he actually fulfilled his task. But you know what? There's not really a happy ending with this. As a matter of fact, when we read this scripture in just a second, you're going to see that the ending to this book is kind of random. It's kind of weird. There is no, like, the end and a little, a little quim at the end and, like, make you feel all happy inside. It's just kind of like it leaves you wanting more, like a good movie. So let's jump into verse 10 of chapter 3, and then we're going to read chapter 4 in its entirety. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. This is talking about the Ninevites that the Lord had done exactly as he had commanded. The message that Jonah sent was, in 40 days, if you do not change your ways, in 40 days, you're going to be toast. We see here in verse 10 that the, the, the Lord saw them, and, he did, and, and they did turn from their evil ways, so the Lord relented. He relented. Verse 1, chapter 4. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee from Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. That's really an echo of Jonah 1.12, when he had asked to be thrown into the water rather than obey. Verse 4 says, But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? He's challenging Jonah. He says, Do you have any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place, pouting, doesn't say that, that was my word, that he sat down in a place east of the city where he made himself a shelter. He sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. So get this for a minute. We're going we're gonna to stop there for a second before we get into verse 6. So Jonah, he goes off, and, and I'm, just, I'm just, this is the idea. He's wanting to see the city. So he's like, okay, I've done exactly what you wanted me to do, God. I went to this city of Nineveh. I see the change that's happening with the people. And now that the, the people have changed, now the culture's starting to change, the leadership, the, the mind and heart of the leadership's starting to change, and now the laws are starting to change. Let me see if God's going to fulfill the promise of what he said. So Jonah goes up and sits on a hill, and he's looking down at the city. He's looking down at it. And then all of a sudden, in verse 6, it says, Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for its head to ease his discomfort. Uh, and this is interesting. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. He was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the blaze burned on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to live, or better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you have any right? Do you have any right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it and make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. 
But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? The end. That's it. Book of Jonah. He's the author. Leaves you wanting more, doesn't it? Like a good movie. In verse 1, as we go back through the text and we try and take out a truth or two that we can apply to our life. Verse 1 starts out with what? Tell me, church. Verse 1. But there was two of us. There's more than that in here. But Jonah, right? This is the third reference I promised, and I, I deliver on my promises. There are three references in this book specifically where but Jonah is used and it reveals things about his character. If you go back, now you don't have to go all the way back there, but in verse 1, or excuse me, chapter 1, verse 3, it says, But Jonah ran away from the Lord and he headed for Tarshish. So you see, that's in essence, that's, that's a, a little picture of his character as he is disobeying God for the first time that we see in this text. So we see things about his character there. But then also in verse 5, it says, But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. So then we know that he's aboard a ship at this point, and yet instead of owning up to the calamity and the storm that's happening over the sea, because rebellion always brings a storm, he decides, it reveals his character, that he's just in, in the bottom of the ship, and he's just totally wanting to avoid what's going on. And the calamity that's around him. He's so in denial. Reveals things about his character. But then in uh, the first verse, chapter 4, says, But Jonah was greatly displeased and he became angry. He became angry because God did exactly what he said he was going to do. He became angry because he had got to the point where he loved to receive that grace. He was, re he was receiving all these wonderful... He was a prophet. He was a man of God. He loved receiving that. He, he was... An Israelite. So he just loved the connection that he had with the Lord. But yet, he did not want to extend that to others. He, he wanted it for himself. He wanted to absorb, 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 but not give anything to others. I'm going to press into you a little bit this morning. I have to tell you, this is a very, very common problem with Christians today. We want to absorb, 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 absorb. Take, take, take. It's about me, me, me. And it's not about you, you, you. That's a very common problem. Jonah was very, or excuse me, he was greatly displeased and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee from Tarshish. He said, this is the exact reason why I rebelled in the first place. And then he he sends out like an echo of Psalm 86, 15. And he says, I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. This is an echo of this scripture. And actually, it's, it's used three times, uh, other, three other times in the Old Testament. In Exodus 34, 6, it uses this. And then Joel 2, 13 says the same thing. These are some of the, most wonderful attributes of God that we can experience in the life of a Christian. That In Jonah, he says, but I know that you're compassionate. I know that you're gracious. I know that you're all these things, but the problem is, I don't want to be myself. He says, I don't want to be those myself. I want to absorb, absorb, absorb. I want to take, 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 but I don't want to give, give, give. 
He says, I, I, I want it. I want it all. Bring it all to me. I love your grace. I love your mercy. But I want it to stop with me. I want it to stop with me. Something about the verse that you see on the screen, this idea of being gracious, it's of giving what we, it's, it's of giving what we don't deserve. It's a giving of what we don't deserve. That's what this is. It's giving what we don't deserve. But then also, you see the word compassion, it, it, it's more, uh, more or better interpreted to be merciful, and that's the idea of withholding what we do deserve. So mercy is withholding what we do deserve, where grace is giving us what we don't deserve. So God, in, in like I said, some of the most wonderful attributes that God, that we can experience in the life of a Christian, but also that it's not supposed to stop with us because it's not about us, is it? Is it about us this morning, church? It's not. It can't be. It's about what the Lord wants to do in us and through us. But Jonah could not grasp this concept. He did not like the fact that God was going to be good to someone else. He just wanted him to be good to him. And it was all about him. This verse also, something else I want to note about it, this it says abounding in love. And this is, this is kased, this is a loyal love. This is a Hebrew word for loyal love. So this was the, the people who were the, the, the people of the covenant of God, the Israelites in this time. He says it's a loyal love. It's something that he would know as a Jewish man. He would know that this that Psalm of David um, from Psalm 86, 15 that you see on the screen. He said he would know these things so well. He says, I know that you're a compassionate God. I know that you're a merciful God. I know that you're slow to anger. I've seen, I've, I've, I've read the books. I understand. I, I know the history of our people. And he says, I know that you were so loyal and loving us. But I just don't want to be loyal and loving other people. I just want to push back against that. Something for you and I to kind of think about and process this morning is when we take advantage of God's grace or we think we deserve God's grace, it stops being grace. When we take advantage of God's grace or we think we deserve God's grace, it stops there. It's done. Because what you are basically telling God is, thank you, I deserve it. Thank you, I deserve it. In essence, you're telling God, it's all about me, 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 and it's not about you, 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 you. And yet, if my suspicions are right, I would think that some of us in here, maybe even many of us in here today, would really like to have what we don't deserve. We really would. We would really like to have what we don't deserve. Say, for instance, you're driving down the road, and you're driving down the road, and um, I just want a show of hands, just very briefly. If you think you're a good driver or a pretty good driver, raise your hand and leave it up. To be honest, awesome. That's really good. I have, no, 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 hold them up. Hold them up. Be proud of it. All the way up. I mean, some of you are like, like I think a few of you are really honest and don't have your hands up. Now, now keep your hand up. Keep your hand up. This is important. I know your arms are getting tired, and that's okay. That's okay. All right. Now, if your spouse is here... 
I want you to just say, okay, I want you to say these things. You're really not, okay? On the count of three. So if you're with someone that you know or you're with your spouse and they have their hand up, I want you to look to them. And if you disagree with what they're saying, I want you to say, you're really not. Ready? One, two, three. That's awesome. You said, you're really not, and in your mind you're thinking, I'm in a lot of trouble. That's what you were thinking. So say we're driving down the road, and we're good drivers, right? Because we all are, everybody except like two of us in, in here. I didn't have my hand up. I'm not the best driver in the world, I'm not going to lie. And I know where I'm going with this, so I certainly wasn't going to put myself out there. Um, but if you, if you think about this, and say that you think you're a good driver, and you're driving down the road, say you're driving down 80, and you're heading into town from here, and you get to the first stoplight. Say, for instance, you're just, I'm just hypothetically speaking, you're driving through, and, and you're mentally not in the car, like you're thinking about something else, and you blow right through a stoplight. Okay, there's actually not a whole lot of policemen in Dublin, believe it or not. I don't see a whole lot of them perusing the road. But say, for instance, that you blow through the stoplight, and all of a sudden a police officer turns on their light. In your mind, you're thinking, I'm a pretty good driver. I really don't deserve a ticket. I only messed up once. Right? Am I right? That's what you're thinking. You're thinking... I only messed up. I only messed up once. I'm a pretty good driver. Maybe some of us would sit, sit there and own up to it. But the reality is when the police officer comes up, very few people, when the police officer comes up and says, you know what, I blew it. I went right through that stop sign. I was actually speeding ten, a couple blocks ago. I was actually flying. I was driving like a madman. I ran an, an old lady and with her grandkids off the road. It was terrible. She was in tears. I feel so guilt-ridden right now. Write me a ticket for all of those. We don't. We may have done those things, but the reality is we think we're pretty good drivers. So when the police officer comes up, what do we do? Say nothing, and we are hoping that he lets us off the hook. Do you know why? Because we think we're pretty good drivers. We think we're pretty good. And we, we, we like to receive. And the idea that, yeah, maybe you blew it, but yet if you get a reprieve and you don't get a ticket, maybe you just get a warning... Maybe if that's the case, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, that feels pretty good. Because grace does. Grace does. You didn't deserve, right? If you, if you were to blow through the stop sign, you wouldn't deserve that. And yet, it feels good. Grace does feel good. It should feel good. But it shouldn't be abused. It shouldn't be abused. In my... In my Working days, in, in fully employed days, I've been working since I was 16 years old, right? 16. So about 21 years of working. And I don't think um, throughout that whole span of time that, that this has been proven to be untrue. So I'm going to say it. Throughout all those 21 years, I mean, when, when I run across somebody who is, they're upset and, and they think that, that, some way that they've been passed up for a promotion, or they think they've earned a promotion, 
Most of those people who, who have this compelling idea, well, I've earned this promotion, or you know what, I, I know such and such left, so that means that there's going to be a spot for me. I've earned this. I put in the time. I've done all these things. The people who have, who have thought that, in, in my experience, are the least to deserve it. They're the least to deserve it. Does that make sense this morning? That yes, they, they think that they've earned it, that they've done something to deserve it themselves, that yet it is like it becomes about them, doesn't it? That they think they deserve it. Then I've already earned this grace. Well, if grace is something that you have to earn in, our, in, in the Christian walk, if, if grace is something you think you have to earn, you have, you, you have a confused idea of what grace is because it's God's unmerited favor on you. It's giving us what we don't deserve. Jonah had a real issue with this. He loved it. He wanted it to be about him. He wanted the buck to stop with him. He just didn't want to extend that to other people. You and I this morning, if we were to be blatantly obvious, or blatantly clear and honest with each other, we would say, we like receiving what we don't deserve. It would be awesome for us to, to receive a check in the mail from some crazy uncle that we don't know who lives in the mountain of Colorado and has like this huge lump sum of money and it would be amazing to us to receive that in the mail, wouldn't it? Is anybody, I mean, I'm looking for that every day when I go to the mailbox. I'm like, stink, another bill. It's an electricity bill. They're relentless. It's like I use it all the time or something. It's like it just keeps coming back and back and back. It's almost like every, the, the same day, every month. It's crazy. And yet for us, we would love to receive that. We love to receive those gifts. We, we, and we, sh- we should want to receive blessings and those types of things. But the reality is, if, if the blessings of God just come to us, then it stops being a blessing. Because the blessing that is given to us, grace that is extended to us, is supposed to be funneled to other people. Jonah's problem was, it, he wanted it to be all about him, him, him. But God says, and we see this at the end of this chapter, he says, you know what? I want to do a new thing, and I want to change people's hearts. There's 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left hand. I just want you to know that there's 120,000 people who are clueless. They're like children right now, and that's what I care about, Jonah. He says, yeah, this grace was awesome, but it wasn't just, uh, it wasn't just for you. The reason why I spit you out in dry land isn't just so you could sit back underneath this leaf and just kick it by yourself. He says, I want to do this amazing thing with these people because God is telling them, I care about people. He cares about people here as well. He cares about people here. If you go into verse 4. We're going to read through verse 9 again. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? I mean, this is a challenge. This is a prophet. This is a man of God. And, and the Lord says, Have you any right to be angry? He's like, Seriously, you're going to squabble over this? Like, Jonah, do you not realize what I've just brought you through? And the trouble that you got yourself into? And how I've disciplined you, not, not to, to make you feel bad and, and, and not to pay you back for the evil that you've done, but to bring you back. He says, do, do, you, do, you re- do we really have to go there? Have you any right to be angry? 
And Jonah, he went out and he sat down at a place east of the city where he says he made himself a shelter and he sat in the shade, waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord provided a grapevine and made it grow up over Jonah to give him a shade for his head to ease his discomfort. See, this is awesome. This is the Lord. He's still, he's using a, a, a live object lesson to get Jonah's attention. He's sitting out. In, in this day and age, I mean, the temperature could swing one way or the other, like 10 or 15 degrees, just by the wind blowing from the wrong direction. In this land, in, in the desert land where this is talking about, it can get incredibly hot. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. It can get hot very, very quickly. But the Lord, after Jonah had made himself a shelter, then the Lord God, he provided the vine and made it grow over Jonah. This was another opportunity. The Lord is, is providing for him a level of comfort. He says, I'm not done with you, Jonah. I'm pursuing you, Jonah. But then, we see really how Jonah still had a me mentality, didn't he? And at the end of verse 6, he says that Jonah was very happy about the vine. He was, just, he was willing to just soak up the blessing of God. Just soak it up. Many of you in here this morning have had blessings. And I would even challenge you to say that and this is a great and wonderful church. That we have had blessings, financial blessings, relational blessings, blessings within our family, just spiritual blessings. And we, we've done great things and extended those blessings to other people, intellectual blessings and being able to think and all these things. But yet, I would also say, on the other hand, that many of us have had those blessings and we've absorbed those blessings. And we didn't reciprocate those anywhere else. We just received them as if we deserved them. But the reality is, grace is not something that we deserve. If grace becomes something that we think we deserve, it stops being grace. Jonah was very happy about the vine. But I want to tell you, if we blow it on the blessings of God, as easy as God gives us a blessing... God can take that blessing from us. Look at the next verse. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God, provide, or God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Just as easy as that blessing came, and he loved that blessing. He loved that blessing. But as just as easy as it came, the next day it went away. And it said that he wanted to die. And it would be better for me to die than to live, is what he had said. He says, I would rather die than live at this point. Because everything, God, everything that you said it was going to happen is happening. And he was reluctant to receive it. And he was reluctant to want to extend that grace to someone else. But God said to Jonah, do you have any right to be angry about the vine? And we see a big part of his character by how he responds. He says, I do. I do. He says, I'm angry enough to die. He says, you've been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. He says, you've been so concerned about this vine. 
He said, it's, it was all about you, Jonah. It's become all about you. You've been so concerned with this vine. He says, yeah, this vine is awesome and it's wonderful and it's over your head to provide a sense of a blessing and comfort for you. But he says, it, it really wasn't about you. It really, it stopped being about you because you, you thought that you deserved this wonderful gift. So God pushes back against Jonah in this text and he says, you know what? He says, do you have any right to be angry about this vine? You've been concerned about it. He says, what did you do to tend it? What did you do to make it grow? And Jonah, I mean, if you had the Lord speaking to you, how are you going to respond? He says, Jonah says, I'm angry enough to die. He says, yet you've been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it and make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. You've been so concerned about the little things. You've been so concerned about the little things. And he says, I want to do something so much bigger than you, Jonah. You're so caught up in the little things. You're so caught up in, well, you don't like this. And I I like receiving that grace, but I certainly don't like to to send that grace out to other people. I'm so willing to, I I want that mercy from you, God. Thank you for that mercy, but I don't want to give that mercy to anyone else. Oh, that love, it feels so warm, Jonah says. It just feels so warm. And I knew that you were that kind of God, and that's great and wonderful, but I certainly don't want to send that to anyone else when God pushes back he says you've been concerned about this vine this morning I want to push into your life a little bit what are you concerned about what are some of the peripheral things of life that you're so concerned about when the Lord Jesus he he has sent us this message to go into the world and to reach this community and to reach our families and to reach to change our culture and do the things that we talked about last week what is the vine that, that you think about all the time do you think about your silly car repair do you think about your taxes I'm serious this is ridiculous this is the kind of thing that we think about Do you think about, oh my goodness, the oil prices are shooting up, what am I going to do? You're probably going to do the same thing you did last year when you said the oil prices were going up. You're probably still going to drive the exact same amount. You're probably going to do the exact same things. It's just we're going to squabble about it again like we did last year. What's the vine? What are you so concerned about? I know know some of us in here have heavy, heavy laden burdens. I know that. And I'm, I'm not... I'm not pushing back against those. I want you to know that the same God who, who we see, some of the greater attributes, is still alive today and He extends this to you, the compassion to you and, and the, the mercy and, and just being gracious to you. And He's slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. And he is, he is all of that and so much more. But what I'm pushing against this morning is the, the little things that we get so caught up in when God says... And like he did to Jonah, he says, I have 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left, and yet all you're concerned about is you. Because when we're concerned about our car, we're concerned about us. When we're concerned about our taxes, we're concerned about us. When we're concerned about how much a gallon of milk costs, what are we concerned about? Us. When we're concerned about the crisis in the Middle East, we're thinking about us because we're thinking the oil prices are going to go up. Therefore, all we do is think about us. Those are so, so many of the vines that we get so wrapped up in. And God says, I want to do a great and bigger and better thing. I have a city. I have a community. I have a state. I have a country. I have a continent. I have a world that I want to redeem. But if all we're going to do is think about silly vines, we are going to miss it. 
And so many of the things that I just named are the blessings that we have because we live in the best country in the world. We do. We live in the best country in the world. And those things are blessings. And yet, we start to think that we deserve those blessings. And that is God's grace given to us. And when we push back against that and we think we deserve it, it stops being grace. What are the vines you're consumed with this morning? Let me, let me just, we're going to pause for just a second. And I, I'm going to give you just literally a couple seconds. I want you to think about something. Think about your last week. And tell me about the things that you were so concerned about mentally. And maybe, maybe through the water cooler at work. Maybe in your kitchen at home. And maybe this is something that, that you talked about on the phone with people. Maybe this is talked about on Facebook or whatever the case may be. What were the vines that you were so concerned with last week? What were they? Think about that. It's easy, isn't it? It's easy to get caught up in the vines and the blessings and and thinking, wow, this is great. I love receiving this. I love receiving this. And we start to think that we deserve it. And when God pushes into our life, I'll be honest with you, when God pushes into our life and, he, and, he, and he, he, he sends that truth and it starts to pervade our life and starts to really kind of, seems like it attacks our heart and our mind, the reality is our first response is we want to push back. If your response is to push back, then you're Jonah. And then I'm Jonah. And we have to trust the God, the same God that Jonah knew. And if you are walking with Christ this morning, you will know this from your experience of being a Christian. That it says that you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God. You're slow to anger. You're abounding in love. And your faithfulness is unmeasurable. That's the same God that we serve this morning. That's the same God that, that I, I speak of this morning, that for you, I want you to realize how blessed you really are. I want you to just stop and think at the end of this day how much grace you've actually received. And then I want you to think uh, the exact same way, I want you to think about this, how much grace have you extended to other people? How much have you just absorbed because you thought, man, I like this, this is good, and you withhold this, and then how much have you actually extended to other people? The simple, the simple truth to say and the difficult one to, to kind of live through this morning for you and I is to kind of counter this Jonah mentality is this. Is that the standard that, that, that we seek for ourselves, the standard that you seek for yourself should be the same standard that you give to others. The same standard that you seek for yourself should be the same standard that you set for others and that you give to others, and that you live out to others. That should be the same standard. This was Jesus' teaching. If you'd do me a favor, please go to the book of Matthew. Go to the, to the book of Matthew, and in chapter 5, and I want you to see something. See, Jesus knows, and part of the, some of his wonderful and great attributes, the, the fact that he's compassionate, and he's gracious, and he's slow to anger, and he's abounding in love, and he's faithful, is because he knows there are going to be times in our life When we fail. When we fail. Lord Jesus knew 
that we, were, that we are living in an eye-for-an-eye culture, aren't we? Is it, is it not that way in the place that you work? It's like an eye for an eye. You have to cover your back. I remember in certain, certain places that I worked in the past, it was just like, I felt like, in, in the, specifically the places where I was a Christian, I felt like I was the only person there. Like it was eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It's like Old Testament to the T. All, all I could do was try and cover my back. You see, God provides for us a way out in the greatest sermon that has ever been taught, set the standard for sermons in the Sermon on the Mount, what we see in Matthew 5. And Jesus takes into account the world that we live in, and he challenges us. He says, I understand that, you're gonna, that you live in an eye-for-an-eye eye culture, a tooth-for-a-tooth tooth culture, but he says, I am going to press into your life a truth that will, will cause a movement in people that will change, change them and yourself. Matthew 5:44 Actually we'll start in verse 43. 3:44 You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This is Jesus's words. He says, "But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you." Hmm. Okay. So he says, "Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you." See, this is a challenge because God's grace is sufficient enough to say, you know what, I understand the world that you live in. I understand that for us, for you and I, we understand how, how, how hard the world is. So we want to absorb as much grace as we can. And yet, in, in some instances, we think we deserve it. He says, I understand that, that that's the way it's going to be because the world that you live in is a dark place. And he takes this into account. He says, I know that you live in an eye-for-an-eye culture. But he says, I want to turn that culture upside down. And he says... To counter that, I want you to love your enemies. I want you to pray for those who persecute you. I want you to love your enemies. That is so much a foreign idea to us because we in our life have clearly defined who some enemies are. And the farthest thing from, from our mind and our wants and desires is to pray for them. And Jesus presses so deeply into our hearts and our, and our minds. And he says, this is what I want you to do. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Because the way that you're going to change people, so you're not thinking about vines, and the way that you're going to change hearts, because there's 120,000 people, Jonah, says the way that this is going to happen in your day and age is that you do something so radical and change this Old Testament teaching into New Testament living. He says the way that you're going to do that is you're going to love your enemies and you're going to pray for those who persecute you. But then also, in the same gospel, we're going to go over two chapters. Matthew seven twelve. Hmm. This one sounds a whole lot like the standard that you seek for yourself is the standard that you should give to others. Verse 12. So in everything, underline everything, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. So the same grace that you and I love, desire, crave, 
the same grace that we receive, in essence, was not supposed to stop with us, is it? Because the teachings of Christ says, so in everything, do to others what you have, that you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Jesus says, I want to make it really, really simple. And I want to trim your reading down a whole lot says, I'm going to bring it all to a close right here, and I want you to see. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. So the grace that is extended to us, the compassion that is extended to us, the mercy that is poured out on us, the same, the same love that, that is extended to us, the same faithfulness that the Lord showers upon us, the same idea of being slow to anger, like Psalm 86 says, really was not supposed to stop with us, was it? Jonah, when he was receiving this, he was a prophet, a man of God. He should have been the one setting the example. But yet, in his rebellion, he wasn't willing to extend what he had received. He wasn't. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Many of us have this, this idea that we, that we live our life as Christians and then as we live our life as Christians that, that our world becomes smaller. And, and really, I think, it's, I think it's one of the ploys of Satan himself is that as a Christian, that mentally we start closing in our sphere of influence. We stop thinking about other people and we start only thinking about people necessarily or could be in this room. That we become, we start thinking about vines and we stop seeing the movement of God that's happening around us. We don't see the 120,000 around us. We don't see the 20 some odd thousand people who live in Dublin anymore. We don't see them. We, go, we, we avoid areas of town that we don't like. We avoid areas of the county that we don't like. We, we start to start, or excuse me, we start to spend time with people in a smaller sphere of influence because they're people that we like. And Jesus says, those are vines in our life and I want to push against that idea because it's not right. Just like the Lord told to Jonah, he says, there's 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left. Don't you get it? You're a prophet. You're a man of God. I want to stir a movement here in this place. Awaken your heart, Jonah. I say to us as a church, we need to awaken our hearts to the need in our community. It has to be bigger than us. We have to do what, we've, what I've really talked about over the last five weeks. We have to recognize those hidden idols in our life, and they're there. We have to pour out our hearts into God and say, what are those hidden idols that keep us and they hinder us from doing what God wants us to do because they are so wrapped up in us and they are so the vines that we cling to. When the Lord says, I want to change your heart, I want to give you grace, but I want you to extend that grace to other people. I want you... To, I, I want to set a standard, a standard of, of way that you live. I, that, that the Lord Jesus set the standard when He accepted us and He gave us grace and He saved us. Those who, who call themselves Christians this morning, I remember how, how, how filthy and how dirty and how ridden with sin I was before my day of salvation. It may have been so long ago that you don't know for yourself, but I remember. I remember how, how I was at 21. I remember how confused that I didn't know my right hand from my left. 
And I just praise the Lord that there was somebody, a group of people who said, you know what, I don't know all the answers, but I've received this little bit of grace and mercy, and I want to just extend it to this man. Because I can recognize that he doesn't know his right hand from his left, and I want to set a standard, and I want that standard to flow through me unto this young man. I praise, I praise God about the people who have invested. I could, spend, I could spend the next hour talking about people who have invested in my life. If people have invested in your life and maybe they have pushed back against this whole Jonah mentality that they've shown you the grace and they've talked to you about grace and they've taken you through the steps of, of maybe your early walks with Christianity, go to them and encourage them. Go to them and encourage them. Because even in that instant, they weren't looking at vines anymore. They were looking at somebody who represented somebody who needed something that you could give. And we all need God's grace. We have a community full of people who don't know the right hand from their left. And the worst thing we could do is sit and talk about vines. And think about vines. And think about politics. And think about oil prices. And think about taxes. And think about all of those other peripheral things. Because when we think about those things, those, really, if that's where your mind goes this morning, I just, I want to push against that. If that's where your mind goes, that is your idol. But for you and I this morning, I, I believe that there's something that God wants to do. I, I, I don't know about you, but last, last week was a powerful week for me. I was, I was really shaken up after last Sunday. If you were shaken up, say amen. It was, it was powerful last week. And I felt compelled like that this church was going to be a church of, not like every other church, that we were going to do things differently, that we were going to be people of compassion and mercy, and that we were just going to show God's, God's favor being shown through us to people around us, not because they look like us or talk like us or think like us, but because they're people who don't know the right hand from their left. And because that's what God says to do. That's what He says to do. But I have to brag on, on several of you. It's not, it's not that we're not doing it, okay? I, that's not what I'm saying is, but I want to challenge each and every one of us, and I'm being challenged myself, I want to challenge each and every one of you to step it up, to step it up a notch, to look for people who are in your midst, who God has, is already putting in your midst that you can show God's grace to because they're already there. I mentioned this last week. I want to brag on anyone who, who donated to this. I received this card from Jay Johnson last week. Jay is uh, he's really an incredible guy. Next time he comes, hopefully you'll get a chance to meet him. He, he really is an incredible guy. And you talk about somebody who is just like dripping of the Holy Spirit. It's just incredible. You get around him and it's like all he can talk about is Jesus. I want to wrap myself around people like that. Amen? I mean, he's just, he's on fire for the Lord. And this is very short. But he says, Dear DBC, I wanted to thank each of you for the part that you have played in the Christmas donation because part of the angel tree was offerings uh, to several different people that we support and one of those locally that we don't support as a church. He says, I, I want to thank you, each of you, for the part you've played 
in the Christmas donation. The Lord is using you to sow into his kingdom. And if you donated a dollar or if you donated a hundred dollars or a thousand dollars or whatever your offering was on, on behalf of Jay and the Lord, because it wasn't just an offering to him, I just want to say thank you for, for showing, basically showing financially what you believe in your heart and you believe in his ministry. And that's something from him. But then also, much closer to home than that, this is something that, that we do as a church quite well. Okay, I'm going to brag on you for a minute, all right? You breathe easy. I'm not going to... This, this is good. When one, when one of our own gets sick, or they go in the hospital, or if they even have a family member who becomes ill, this church becomes alive with, with mercy and grace and meals and prayer. You do it well. I want to brag on you. You do it very, very well. And I'm thinking specifically about the latest thing that we have undergone. And I was reminded of this yesterday when I went to see her with Catherine. When you see a Christian hurting and you see a church step up and to, and to look beyond themselves and to step up into caring for someone else, that's a powerful thing. That's a powerful thing. But here's the challenge that goes with it. That's easier to do if it's somebody that's in this house and more difficult when it's somebody not in this house. And the Lord wants us to give that same amount of love, compassion, and mercy to people outside these doors as much as he does inside these doors. Because I believe that there may be, with Jonah, there may have been 120,000 who didn't know the right hands from their left, but I believe there are thousands right here in our great and wonderful city who don't know their right hand from their left either. And what they need is somebody who's just willing to say, it's not about me, me, me. It's about him, him, him. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for the challenge of obedience that you put before us. Lord, my prayer this morning is that you would just, you would just awaken us to the truths that were mentioned. God, that, that whatever it is that you have stirred in us over these last five weeks, if we've kind of unpacked this, this book of a, a reluctant prophet, God, that we, would, that we would see your hand not only in his story but also in ours. And that we would be awakened to, to the need that there are thousands of people in our community who don't know the right hand from their left. And what they need is somebody with words of love and compassion to share the truth with them and not to avoid them. Because you said that we need to pray for those who persecute us. We need to love our enemies. And I believe the same standard that we seek for ourselves should be the same standard that we extend to others. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that your grace is sufficient. It covers all of our needs, wants, desires and fulfills all of our failings. We praise you for that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.